Hi, and welcome to Talking With Cancer. I'm Katie. And I'm Claire. Thanks for joining us today. So grab a coffee or a tea. In your favourite mug. Let's get settled down and begin this week's conversation. Hello, darling. Oh, Claire. Oh, sweetie, it has been such... Well, God, you've really been through it since we last spoke. And the last time we spoke, you were just on the cusp or the night before, two nights before you were going for your surgery. I know. And now you've had your... That was four weeks ago for us. Four weeks ago for us. It's been a seamless week, but for us it's been four weeks. Yeah, exactly. We've twisted time. If you're listening to us, we've twisted time for you. So it's been four weeks for you, but it has been for us. So how was it? How are you? Totally nuts, Claire. Yeah. Totally, totally nuts okay nothing nothing can prepare you for what I went through yeah nothing because however much prep I tried to do yeah you know I spoke to a woman who'd had a similar procedure I obviously I spoke to my nurse I spoke to the surgeon I spoke to my oncologist tried to kind of you know understand what it was going to be like but of course everyone's different and not only that like Let's not forget, this is Hobnail, and Hobnail's never been operated yeah. on before by, you know, any of my team. Yeah. So, yeah, it was lots of unknowns, and it was all very surreal and, like, kind of out-of-body, out-of-mind experiences went, went on throughout that time. Like, you're just watching this happen to you. Like, you're there, but you're overlooking yourself kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's, like, it's so vivid. I mean, the morning of the surgery, yeah. just so unbelievably vivid you're so alert to what's about to happen you're really yeah you're so alert and then you've got all these different people like talking you through their different like roles and responsibilities of what they're there to do you know whether it's the anaesthetist or whether it's like because there's there were three surgeons so it's prof kim and then he had a team of two Mm. and then you know you've got the head nurse who's kind of overseeing stuff and yeah there's loads there's loads of people you know they kind of you go through all these questions and tests and they have a feel around and then like you walk into an operating theater where it's like It's just overwhelming, like the machines and the lights and the size of the space. And, you know, it was actually quite quiet. And the thing I remember the most when I lay on the bed was they put a warm blanket on me. Oh, that's a really lovely touch, though, isn't it? Like, And it's those small things. Like, I think when someone does that and you're like, oh, you understand that I might be a bit cold and you've given me this. Or like when someone's talking to you and they touch you you're like oh yeah you're you're treating me like a person you're caring about me Mm, definitely honestly the warm blanket was a real touch and it just gave me some comfort and before I knew it I was out and actually the guy did hold my hand I can't remember what his role was but like he held my hand and you know so in a way like going into it you know I think I probably said to you I just wanted to get get it done yeah I need this just to be over I need to be through it and around the other side yeah yeah. Yeah, and in a way, like actually, the surgery, the actual surgery itself, as a patient, it's like that's the easiest yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're anaesthetized. You just, You're not. Re- yeah. Yeah. Totally out of it. You're just there. You know. Again, like I always say, it's probably way harder for Dinch, and you know, he had drama going on the other side because they said they'd contact mm. him. We only found out a couple of weeks ago they had the wrong number for him. Oh man. Yeah, so we were like, oh, that's, that's why they why never got hold called. of you. Yeah, yeah. So he was obviously by 
hour six or something, absolutely panicked, mm. but managed to find his way back. He just, he just like basically went back to the hospital, went back to the unit where I was. Like they were like, he actually spoke to the surgeon. She was like, he's fine, she's fine, everything's fine. It's just you know, as it does, it takes longer. So it ended up the actual surgery was about eight to nine hours. Oh my god! So it was pretty mega surgery, and then I must have probably gone under at like 9am and I probably came round about like I'm guessing it was about 7pm mm -hmm. or something when mm -hmm. I was in the critical care unit I didn't open my eyes until 7am the next morning so even though I was kind of like coming in and out of it you know and I was chatting I think I was yeah, really you look on quite a lot of morphine post I was on yeah yeah I was on painkillers or you, you self-administer with a little tapper you have a little tapper, exactly, yeah. so you just click the button and it beeps when you take it and then they can see how much you're taking. Yeah. So just every... In fact, my best friend said, just just keep taking yeah, the painkiller. Yeah, yeah. like, Pump don't, yourself up, yeah. Don't so be, don't be brave about this, just keep on, keep, keep on self-administering. And how was that for you coming around? I mean, I know the early phases of it, when you, when you are on morphine and stuff, you don't really remember very much, but what were you aware of? How did you feel? Were you aware that you... You knew you'd had surgery, you knew you'd woken up in, like, you know, your hospital room. What were you, what were your thoughts? What were you feeling? I was a bit, I think I was, a, there was a slight euphoria and I felt like we did it. Like, I had this feeling of, like, we did it, like, as a team, like, mm. well done. Like, the surgeons did a great job and, like, my body, like, did what it needed to do and well done. And I was so determined to just get out of there and mm -hmm. get through it. Even, like, in ICU, I remember, like, I was kind of, like, moving my body in the bed, <laughs> like, wiggling my feet. And they said, like, deep breathe. So I yeah. was doing really deep breaths because there's, like, crap that builds in your lungs. And, you know, their biggest fear when you come out, out of surgery is getting an infection. Yeah. So, like, that's their biggest fear about keeping you in hospital as well. They, they want to get you out yeah, because... because yeah. You're kind of you're gonna your recovery speeds up more, yeah. but the bed I was in in ICU, it's like moves the mattress like moves and wobbles. So like every now and then you're kind of like suddenly your chest starts to expand because like the mattress underneath you is like moving and then is they that put is these... that to get stuff like it's moving you to get stuff out of your lungs like it's shifting it's moving your, body. your whole body so there's all, it's moving all around but it's wow. just you just realize it more kind of in yeah. certain places and then they have these like kind of these cuffs that they attach to your ankles and they kind of, again, they're like electronic, they move. So they kind of like tighten and they loosen, but it feels like someone's like kind of giving you a massage. Or, so I kind of thought the nurse every oh, now and then was like gripping me. <laughs> I love it. Taking your pulse in really, your ankles, yeah. Yeah. And I had this really nice nurse called Renato and I remembered, I remembered everyone's names weirdly. I was so chatty. I think he just thought, oh my God, shut up. And I kept asking him the time. Love it. Constantly. And I thought like an hour or two had passed and it had been like 10 minutes mm. since the last time. That was weird. I was like, Renato, what's the time, please? Oh, <laughs> and then... I obviously I didn't know what this space was like because I had my eyes closed. Yeah. But like he is constantly there. All I knew is he was constantly there. He was like checking my oxygen, checking my blood. I don't know what he was doing, yeah. but he was constantly yeah. there injecting something into me. Or and then you hear these noises, and I was like, Renato, what's that noise? And he was like, It's just the pump, Katie. I don't know what was going on. So, and then I started to get thirsty. So he's like feeding me water from a pipette. So basically. 
I was in ICU for 24 hours. Mm. And in that period, like I say, I kept my eyes closed for most of it. I remember Prof Kim coming and speaking yeah. to me and saying, Katie, it went, went really well. I'm really pleased. I got a lot out, a lot out. And it was really successful. And I remember Dinch coming. Dinch actually managed to come. I don't remember exactly like what I said he told me afterwards, but I remember him like kissing me on the forehead and I said, do I look sexy? <laughs> I love that as your concerns. What, what, what time is it? And am I still hot? Yeah. Do you still find me hot? That's the drugs, though, isn't it, man? That's like a that's a wild old time. Mm. And I remember, like, the nurse before Renato. She obviously I was at the end of her shift, and when she left, she said, "Oh, you're really funny. I wish I was coming working <laughs> with you tomorrow." That's what she said to me. <laughs> it's a good patient validation. You're like, "Oh, I've been a good patient." Maybe that's not your no, vibe. That's not your vibe anymore. Her, are you going out now? Or what are you doing? Yeah. What are your plans? Yeah. Or with my eyes closed, like completely out of it. Anyway, the next morning, my nurse was called Amelia, and I thought that was a really nice sign because my grandma's name was Amelia. Oh, that's lovely. So that was yeah. really nice, and she was Polish, and she was lovely, and we bonded over talking about food and sauerkraut and chickpeas. And, and she was amazing. And basically, her goal is to get me up and get me up to the ward, right? Mm-hmm. So that I can kind of recover on the ward. But I couldn't get up. Every time I got up, my blood pressure dropped really low, and that happened mm-hmm. four times. Basically, I'd lost a lot of blood during the surgery, so that was kind of the cause of the the dropping blood pressure and I I just kept being really faint so in the end instead of getting me up putting me in a chair and then putting me on another bed they literally just kind of like held me up put me on another bed and wheeled me to the Mm -hmm. ward which is like you know going through dodgems through the hospital corridors knocking into yeah 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 and there's not that when you do knock a bed like it feels so jolting like you feel it all the way through you it's like being in a dodgem yeah so so that was it. Then they took me to the ward and I was like, goodbye, Amelia. And she actually said to me, Katie, she said, I've never known a patient have so many doctors and surgeons come on checking them after a surgery. And I was like, Amelia, I told you I was VIP. Because <laughs> they were really on it. They were really, really on it. They were constantly coming and looking at my bloods and taking my bloods. And the, the two things that were kind of an issue was that my calcium was really low and my hemoglobin was really low, which was kind of what the... Um, the fainting, yeah. the, the dizzy head was about. But I was really lucky I got my own room, which was really nice. Oh, good, I'm glad. It was only a little small room, but, you know, it was nice to have my own room. And, yes, the heat wave was happening, and, yes, I had some air conditioning and a fan, and it was cool in my room, and all everyone talked about was the heat wave. Really? <laughs> well, people coming into the room, they weren't like, how are you, Katie? They were like, it's so hot outside, I can hardly bear it. That was it. It was just the constant, constant conversation heat around the banter. heat. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I was grateful to be in that room. But it was like, yeah, guys, uh, hi. So they were amazing on the ward, Claire. Mm. They were really, again, so attentive, so caring, so kind, just constantly checking on me. I had this really lovely nurse called Alicia, and she and I were kind of like buddies. And I was like, look, Alicia, I was like... I've got, like, dry blood, like, stuck to the back of my hair. I was like, my hair was, like, just covered in blood. And it was so awful. And I just said, is there anything we can do about it? So about two days later or three days later, she was like, Katie, right, we're going to get you in the shower. Meanwhile, I haven't really mentioned, but, like, I had a lot of tubes coming out of me. So basically, the incision goes from one side 
at the bottom of one ear, mm-hmm. all the way down my neck, yeah. across the front where you can see it, yeah. and then back up to the other Gosh. one. So it's, it's pretty big. Yeah. They took out the thyroid, mm-hmm. totally the thyroid, and he took out, wait for it, a hundred lymph nodes from my neck, Claire. Oh my gosh. A hundred lymph nodes. Wow. It gives you some idea of like, well, where the nine hours, the nine hours of surgery went, isn't it? It's like, that is, that is extensive, isn't it? Oh my God. Yeah, wow. and he did actually get the thoracic surgeon. I think I mentioned that he was going to have him on call. So they got him in from the Royal Brompton, which is just across the road. And he went down just with like implements and long fingers. <laughs> and took out, like, a couple of lumps that I had on my windpipe. They Mm. were quite big ones. Those were what was causing the cough all Mm -hmm. the way back at the beginning. So, yeah, like, between them, I mean, mainly kind of the head and neck team, got a lot out. That's amazing. Amazing. But what they do when they kind of finish the surgery is they put literally, like, a tube into your neck, both sides, and they're attached to these little buckets. I called them my udders. These little, like, bottles, basically, and... There's just liquid and blood draining out. So you've got these little bottles of blood, like, hanging off you. And then I had a catheter. Yeah. And I had, like, loads of cannulas, and I was, you know, having drips and stuff. They gave me calcium drip. and So I was like, how am I going to have a shower, Alicia, with with all these things attached? She was like, don't worry, we can manage it. You know, and having a shower, it's like an hour-long operation in that kind of scenario. So she got me up. I sat in this little chair in the shower and we're having a chat and I suddenly start to go, Alicia, I actually feel a bit... And then the next thing I know, I had an oxygen mask around my mouth and five nurses holding me up. Oh, God, you'd fainted in the shower. I'd fainted. Oh, and, and I was just like... You know, the other thing I was saying, actually, to my brother yesterday, like, your body it just literally just becomes a load of organs in some skin. Like, yeah. you don't feel attached to it. I, I literally didn't care. Like, I was just sat there, like, just, you know, breathe and get, yeah. get my heart rate up. And yeah. That was a knockback because, mm. you know, went in on the Thursday and I came out on the Wednesday. It was only really, like, on the Tuesday they let me get up and go to the toilet on my own. Yeah. They all, I always had to call a nurse because yeah. they just didn't want to risk it. Mm. So that was, yeah, so that was really disappointing. Basically, after that, they decided to give me a blood transfusion. OK. So I got, like two packets of blood pumped around me, which I've never had before. Have you? No, no. Suze has, but I haven't. Wow, and how it's was that? It's pretty straightforward, but obviously you're kind of thinking, whose blood Who is, is this? this? And what's in this yeah, blood? Yeah, and like, yeah. Who are these people that so have donated? Weird. Yeah. yeah. How was that, the process of that? Just easy, easy again. I'm just in the bed, and they just put it in the cannula. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the calcium... So, basically, the calcium issue... I was going to ask it, about which, that. What is, the, what is the low calcium about? What's that? So we have four parathyroid glands, like, around our kind of neck area. They control our calcium levels. They're really, really small. And once we got the pathology report back, it showed one of them got removed. It can happen. Mm -hmm. The other three are there, but they're probably really bruised. Mm -hmm. And they are... Basically, they're just not functioning right. And so when your calcium drops... It's actually really complicated, the calcium, because it works alongside, I think, like, your potassium levels. Again, I... No, don't quote me. I'm so bad at relaying all of this. It's important. I mean... Asterix, it's important. Basically, your calcium's really important. People go, oh, yeah, drink milk for your bones, Mm. but... In the end, like, if you don't have enough, I think you start getting it from the wrong places and then it affects your heart. Yeah, yep, okay. So it's linked to something else, which is, I think, about your vitamin D levels. And then, you know, 
your kidneys can be affected. It's all sorts of complications it, it can that can happen. It if you don't have enough of it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so they kind of kept on giving me... So the other thing about being in the hospital when you're recovering, I mean, the funny thing is, like, I packed the most inappropriate stuff, Claire. I packed, like, five sets of pyjamas, you know, I packed, like, all this kind of... Like, all my wash bag full of products. And I mean, no. I just... No, you're not like, going to get changed. You're going to be in that anything. gown. You're going to be in that gown from the moment you're in it to the moment to the moment you leave, and you might get to brush your teeth. Yeah, wash your face. That's, that's I don't exactly think so. It. Yeah, Claire, I brushed my teeth on like day four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But these things like become gave, yeah, but they become irrelevant, don't they? But like sort of, yeah. it's like just this... but again, it's the thing about your body yeah. and your relationship with your body. Like I was literally was just. I wouldn't say a corpse, that sounds a bit morbid, but I was just like, do what you need to do, yeah, guys. I'm just... You're being ministered to, like you're there just to let them take care of your body and it's all focused on that, yeah. That's exactly it, constant monitoring, constant, yep. constant checks and blood pressure yeah. and all the time. So, you know, you're not really left really? alone, which is actually quite nice. You know what I mean? You feel like you've always got company. And I had visitors and stuff. They allowed visitors, which was really nice. I was going to ask two questions, but I don't want to interrupt you if you were about to... No, go for it. Go. One is, like, how is the pain levels now? Like, how is managing the pain? Like, I know you said you had morphine at the beginning, but how has that been? And, like, what's the bodily sensations that you've got now? Do you... Yeah, how are you... Like, how is that feeling? Like, the physical so sensations? Neck, yeah. Yeah, so my neck... I mean, now, kind of almost four weeks, I could move my neck really well, but it was really stiff and mm. I, you know, I could hardly move it. And it felt like I had like a stainless steel neck brace on, you mm -hmm. know, it was really, really tight. And also a lot of numbness, which I've still got. So obviously they cut the nerves. So, you know, when you come out of a dentist and you can kind of like, you kind of like yeah. bash around your mouth and your jaw and stuff. Mm. It's like that. My left ear particularly numb, but also sore. I was like convinced they put my head in a in like a head yeah. yeah which they didn't I was like oh, they must have had my head in a lock and they were like no so lots of soreness everywhere like mm. my left shoulder very sore very numb which makes my arm kind of like cold in a way and but the pain I was really was okay they didn't actually send me home with any pain relief okay. and I just kind of stuck to paracetamol and so I came home and I was like, I, I think I've got this, you know, like I'm kind of like four or five days recovering, starting to, I wouldn't say I didn't actually feel myself. I felt, I felt strange at home because I, mm. I did not feel like myself, yeah. like my usual kind of how I am around the house. No, didn't mm. recognise that, that. But I just said, just, just go with it, just rest and relax and just try and go mm. with it. But what happened was I had to go back to have these calcium tests done. And unfortunately, and I don't want to kind of make too much of a meal of it, but unfortunately they didn't send me home with enough calcium medication. They are investigating that. And, you know, when you leave, you're a bit out of it, to be honest, Claire. You've not got your admin hat on. You're not like, is this the right amount for eight not days? At all. You're like, Ugh. Right, so yeah. I just, you know, like a few days later, I finished the calcium and didn't think anything of it. Mm. And then I happened to go. I kind of said, look, can I come in to get some dressings changed? The scar, by the way, is stitches on the inside which dissolve and glue on the outside. God. So there's no dressing on it or anything. Mm. And, and I've been washing it, and it literally, this sounds gross, but the glue just peels off. Oh yeah, gosh. and now I've started to, like, put vitamin E oil on it and, like, yeah. silicone gel. Keep it out of the sun, that's what I've yeah. been told. So, basically, like, I had these tubes, the dressing to be changed, and then they happened to take my bloods, and then they saw my calcium oh, drop man. right down. 
and they rushed me to A and E, Claire. Oh, Katie, God, yeah. bloody hell! I had to go to UCLH A and E because oh, they said basically like we have to get you on a drip now of calcium, and we have to have your heart monitored while you're on it. And they were like, you'll probably have to stay overnight. <sighs> and when was this? How many days after you, you'd been back home, like? I'd been home like four or five days. Oh man, that makes me so angry. I was so so angry and frightened. So I bet as well because I'm mean, like, what's this? Like you like, oh man, I'm yeah, so sorry. Yeah, I mean the sorry. weird thing about the calcium is I didn't have any symptoms. They say you can get symptoms like pins and needles in your fingers and toes mm. and like prickly lips. I didn't have anything. But also, what are you going to put that down to? You'll just be like, this could just be post-op stuff. It's not like you're like a calcium detective. Like yeah. you're not going to necessarily know. Yeah, oh, so that was really upsetting because I felt like it set me back. Yeah. And, you know, going to A&E, I mean, in a way, like, Dinch and I were like, God, we've been so lucky to be at the Royal Marsden and to yeah. be looked after in the way we have. Because when you go to A&E, you know, you see the big yeah, wide yeah. world and it's it's really difficult and it's really scary and sad. Yeah. So luckily, I didn't have to stay the night. At 8.30pm, the doctor came and said, look, your calcium's picked up. I think you can go home and just keep taking it. So mm. after that, I had to go pretty much every day back to Chelsea to just keep it getting monitored and also to prep for the isolation. Yeah. So and that's I mean, the second really chapter of this as well. Like, yeah. So, there, so how many? Well, there, so there's a little chapter in between, and the chapter in between when you ask about pain was that then I would say it was probably ten days later I started to get this pain, Claire, which. I've never experienced anything like it. Imagine someone putting an iron on your chest and holding it down on you. And they, I couldn't really ex explain what it was. I was like, I'm in loads of pain in the chest there. I was like, it's not a breathing thing. I said, it feels like my bones, like my bones are in pain. And so they gave me antibiotics just to rule out infection. And I was like, no. that did nothing. And, and again, like, I you know, I hate taking it. I hate taking anything. I was like, oh, God, taking antibiotics for a week. And then I was like, listen, I mean, Claire, the pain, I was in so much agony. It was debilitating pain. Like pushing down on your chest, like pressure or, or heat or like, or both? So or... then what I realised it was, it's the nerves in the skin. Now, I actually got a call with Prof Popat, like, seven days in. I mean, I was... I was, I was crying. I was, I was, I couldn't move. I was in, I was in so much pain, Claire. It was absolutely devastating and debilitating. And it was the darkest place I've ever oh, been to God, in my life. I'm so sorry. It was so dark. It was so, so dark. Nothing, paracetamol, nothing was, would do anything to relieve this pain. And like, I went and got this like anaesthetic cream and put that on it. Didn't really work. I got like these patches that you put on pain. Didn't really work. And I said to the doctors, like, uh, so anyway, I made Prof pop out. I wrote to his secretary and I said, can I please speak to him? And I said to him, could this be an ontrectinib withdrawal? He said, Katie, like, the two things we see with ontrectinib withdrawal is muscular pain. I said, well, I had that. And he said, and nerve pain. And I said, well, it's either that or the surgery or it's both. So they finally gave me this nerve pain relief, which is really strong stuff. They actually use the same drug to treat depression and epilepsy in children. So they were like, take it, it might take a week to work. So I was like, you're kidding me. I'm gonna have to go through this for another week. But what happened was like the pain, it sort of became more manageable. And they always ask you out of 10 what it is. And it had gone from like a nine, 10, and it started to drop and it was around a six. So I just thought I can handle it. 
The painkillers I'm still taking. I'm not sure if they've started working or not. Mm. The pain's still there. But basically, yeah, pain is, is a fucker because it affects you your can't do anything. appetite, yeah. your yeah. mood, and, you know, And there's no everything. way out of it as well. Like, you can't... I always think this of pain. Like, it's not like you can, like, strip your soul and yourself out of your body. You can't escape it. You are locked in with it, you know, and you just have to, like ride the waves of it or wait for it to subside or get you know you're just so with it like it's a channel you can't turn off you're stuck you're in there that's exactly it there's no escaping it and that's why it feels so dark because yeah you're like nowhere to go you're trapped in that place so that was horrendous absolutely absolutely horrendous and something i just you know a lot of this like i I just didn't foresee any of it and i'm such a kind of put so much pressure on myself to like bounce back and you yeah, know the, yeah, yeah. you know everything's going to be fine and I can just be go back to normal and I'm still not you no, know but, I'm not but if you think about it you went un- your body went under 8 9 hours like a full day's work of surgery and the body heals like at a rate that we're never happy with as humans cuz we're like I want to be better now like our brain is like come on but our body's like, no, we need, we need, we need time, and it's those two different timescales. A bit like us saying at the beginning, it might only have been a week for the person listening, but it's been four weeks for us. And I think the body sort of works in a similar kind of like, you know, twists time as it needs to. Healing is slow, unfortunately. You're right, and I think that's the thing I've got to trust my body that the it knows time what it's going to need yeah. exactly, yeah. and it will get back to yeah. who it was. It's just. You know, it is. It's just. It's just. It's just giving it, it that patience, and it's like and I it's really frustrating. Before, yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah, and I said to Dinch, like, I've got my mantra will be, "This is temporary." Like yeah. this whole this recovery is temporary. Yeah, yeah. That was going to be my other question, actually. You said you spoke to loads of people, but nothing prepared you. Is there anything that you would say, or you'd wish you'd known in advance, or is there anything that you would say to somebody who was in your position you now four or five weeks ago? What would you, what would you pass back? Oh, it's really hard to kind of come up with some wisdom at the moment. Don't worry, I'm just in Yeah, pocket. and it was kind of struck me when I was in the hospital as well that, like, again, I haven't really been in my mind. I've yeah. been in my body. And yeah, it's a yeah, very yeah. different experience. Like, yeah, so pearls of wisdom are not coming to me at the moment, but I think I've definitely started to just slightly feel like myself a few days prior to isolation, and that was like, you know, Dinch and I went out for dinner. We actually went out for dinner for the first time in months Aww. because, you know, I've been so tired in the evening so that was kind of like a real treat and then yeah and then on Friday I went to Sutton for the isolation the radioactive iodine treatment and how was that horrific yeah the isolation was just awful yeah I absolutely hated it yeah I was given a small room it had like a stable door so you could keep the top half open I had a little window that looked out into a car park and you know a hospital bed with a plastic mattress I mean it was yeah it was pretty horrific and go in again loads of checks and questions and all of the rest of it and then they hand you in this big case big metal case like a pill and they just drop it into a little cup and you knock it back like you're at freshers week as you said (laughs) all in one go down the hatch down the hatch and then you're kind of like oh I've got all this radiation going around my body this is weird they have monitors in the ceiling, and so every few hours they come and take your reading. It's like, it's like Wizard of Oz, there's like a computer screen outside your room, and he's like doing things on the screen. Then he's like, take your positions, please, because there's two other men on the opposite side going through it as well. So you lie on the bed for a minute on your back and then on your front, and it basically tells him, like, 
where the radiation is or like the, your radiation much, level or how much it's going down the more you pee you know and sweat and whatever like it comes out your body so I mean I don't really know I think I felt a bit tired I had moments where I thought my neck was stiff but I didn't know if that was from that mm. they gave me some steroids they kept offering me anti-sickness which of course I didn't take and somehow those days passed you made those 72 was... hours pass it sounds so bleak it was bleak and it was again it was coming out and getting home and then realizing what I've been through yeah. that I found unbelievably traumatic yeah you're just sobbing I think I'd be sobbing on the other side of that. I'd I be was... just lying on the bed sobbing I was in I was heartbroken Claire, yeah when I came home yeah heartbroken about everything that's gone on yeah heartbroken yeah. for Dinch heartbroken for Dinch and I the whole thing it's just you know yeah it's been heartbreaking and I can't dress it up as anything else, I'm yeah. afraid. No, you it's, don't have to. It it's is really tough. It's really tough. It's yeah. really tough. I mean, the thing that I'm losing sight of is quite how amazing the surgery was and how huge that is because, you know, I'm still waiting to get a kind of, again, a proper breakdown of, like, what does my scan look like today compared to how it looked before. In the beginning, yeah. But they, they think they've pretty much cleared disease from the neck. That's amazing, Katie. And that that was kind of like 90% of where the cancer was. So, you know, that is amazing. So that means that there is cancer left around the kind of chest and lung area. I mean, the really disappointing thing is that the iodine actually didn't work, Claire. Oh, no. Yeah, so when they discharge you, you go for a scan. That was actually a really uncomfortable scan because they put you literally like a straitjacket. And my arms went numb and I was lying like for an hour like that. And what they're looking at is to see where's the iodine gone. Yeah. And if the iodine has gone to where the cancer is, that's a very good indication it's going to do its job. Mm -hmm. So I lay there and I had the test and then I came home and blah, blah, blah. And then I spoke to Kate Newbold yesterday and she called me last night and she said, Katie, I'm looking at the scan and it looks like the iodine didn't go to the disease. So... So what does that mean? What does that mean in terms she of thinks, the next She steps? thinks it's because that it's hobnail. Yeah. Again, they don't know what hobnail does or doesn't do. They want to put me back on on Tractinib. I'm going to start that again on Monday on the same dose that I was on before. They want to give me another scan, I think a CT with contrast to kind of see, okay, where am I actually at? She's got a theory that it may be worth doing the iodine again on the on Tractinib. She seems to think that might have an impact. So I've got that to look forward to in about four or five months. But to be honest, you know what? In a funny way, like, even though I'm a bit freaked out for some reason about going back on the untrectinib, like, I realise what an incredible drug it is yeah. and how normal, in inverted commas, my life was for those four yes. months that I was yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. When you said it, I was like, oh, good. That was like, that was like a good drug for you. And that made, that helped you make real progress. So, yeah. Yeah, and I'm really interested, like, going back on it, will it kind of kick off at the same rate? Or, mm. like, now that it's got less disease to deal with, will it kind of, like, you know, be yeah. more effective? So that's basically what's next. I'm going to start that. Yeah, that's in, like, four or five days, isn't it? And then go from there. I've got to keep my calcium levels monitored, keep having bloods, keep on the meds for that, and try and keep this pain at bay. But I think actually going back on the untrectinib will get the, sort, take the pain it away. Because... Some of it out. Yeah, if, if, if they think it's, yeah, withdrawal or nerve. Yeah. 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 So that pretty much, Claire, has been those four weeks, darling. That's a lot to kind of try and compact into our session. Yeah. I, my heart is just, my heart is just with you. 
and no more so than when I saw the picture of the isolation room that you were in and I was like, I do not want you to be in there. Like, it's not a nice enough room for you. It's not bright enough. It's not colourful enough. There's not nice enough things in it. Like, I was like, I want to come and get... I'm going to break you out of that room. It's like... I really didn't want you to be in there. You were so sweet. Like, it's not bold and colourful enough for you. And I was like, she's so right. It's like the most miserable space. Yeah. I, I was know. like, you can't, I, I was know. like, I was, I was angry. I was like, you can't be in there. It's not where you're meant to be. It's not nice enough for you. It's not meant for you. It was my feeling. I know. It was, yeah, it was not fun. Do you know what's really interesting, kind of seeing you so emotional and, and helpless? It's like, that's a real theme I can feel with people around me. They feel so helpless and heartbroken. And it's like, you know, for that time that I was going through the pain and people were contacting me, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't even communicate. Yeah. I couldn't even, like, write. I couldn't even have any energy for any of that. Like, nothing no one can do anything, yeah. Claire. Yeah, no one can get in. No one, yeah, That's can't take it the away. the harsh truth of it. Yeah. You know, no one can do anything, and it's so hard for everyone. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And it doesn't seem right to ask, but is there a mum joke for this? Is there a mum joke for this week? Do you know what? Out of all of the last four weeks of heartbreak and surgery, has oh, your mum managed to... Been, um... She's been really, like, she's been... I don't know how she's gone through it as well. I think she's... Yeah. She's been really up and down, but I think yeah. the minute I started to kind of come back to myself, she was so relieved. But yeah, so I had to do a low iodine diet before I Ooh. went in, which is basically like... No salt? What is that? Yeah, that's what, what you though? think, right? But it's dairy, so no dairy, mm. no fish. You've got to scale back on raw vegetables such as broccoli and spinach. You can have them cooked. So, yeah, so I kind of had to give all that up. Although, one minute, at one point, the nurse was saying, I know you're on low iodine, but you need calcium, so have some dairy. Sorry, okay. Monty's going mad there. So I'd been telling my mum, I'm on a low iodine, I'm on a low iodine. And, like, on this day that I was back to myself, I met her for a bite to eat, and I ordered a carrot juice. My mum said, should you be having a carrot juice? I thought you're supposed to have no iron at the moment. I've been telling everyone you're on a no iron diet. I was like, first of all, does carrot have iron in it? And second of all, iodine, mum. Iodine. iodine, not iron. She goes, oh, I've been telling everyone you're on a low iron. You're not having any iron at the moment. <laughs> oh. oh, well, you know, I mean, you just... Didn't enunciate the I-N-E bit at the end. Maybe that's it. Iodine. I can see that. I can see that. I can see how that could be miscommunicated or misunderstood. Oh, my um, God. So, yeah. But, you know, mum jokes are a bit few and, few and far between, but I thought that did make me laugh. That did make no, me no. laugh. Well done. Well done, your mark. Always coming through with the goods. So we don't um, have a guest this week because, you know, we made it all surgery-focused, didn't we, Claire? There's so much to discuss. I don't feel it would be right to bring in anyone else to, to give you this space to tell it fully is really important yeah for us to hear what it's been like for you yeah we'll have a guest we'll next listen. week yeah we'll we'll have a we'll be chatting to somebody else next week well as ever i love you love My you, Claire. With you thank you darling it's sorry about the faff at the beginning no probs it's life isn't it thank well you. love you very much have a lovely weekend and we'll speak next week speak next week Mwah. bye thanks for listening to this week's talking with cancer Feel free to share the show or give us a review on Apple's podcast, Spotify or Google. It could help other people find out about us and might help someone you don't know who's got questions about cancer. Please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Either via our Instagram, which is talking underscore with cancer, or you can email us hello at talkingwithcancer.com. See you next time. Bye. Bye.